Welcome to the FDD Events Podcast. I'm Cliff Mate, founder and president of FDD. I'm pleased to share with you the following conversation. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss out on future FDD events. Good morning. It's Friday, February 23rd. The war in the Middle East is now 140 days old. I'm Jonathan Shanzer, Senior Vice President for Research at Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Welcome back to the FTD Morning Brief. Yesterday was a crazy news day in the Middle East. Big headlines that span the military and diplomatic and political domains. It's not always easy, but we work hard to sum up those most important developments here in about 20 minutes. That balance between brevity and substance, well, that's what we strive for every day here at the FTD Morning Brief. So thanks for joining Legendary Israeli fighter pilot and strategist Amos Yadlin will be joining us in a few minutes to speak about Iran and Israel and Hezbollah and more. But before we speak to Major General Yadlin, we should probably talk about Yemen. The Houthis are at it again. The Iran-backed terror group fired a long-range missile yesterday at the southern Israeli town of Alat. The IDF intercepted the missile with the Arrow defense system, which is now batting a thousand against long-range Houthi threats. This attack comes on the heels of a major success scored by the Houthis the other day. They disabled and nearly sank a ship in the Red Sea. So the U.S. responded by striking a number of missiles and drones in Yemen. But that tactical response was not even close to sufficient, in my view. Amidst all of this, the State Department spokesman issued a strongly worded press statement lamenting how the Houthis are, quote, behaving like a terrorist organization, end quote. Right. Good work, everyone. That ought to do it. High fives all around. Take the rest of the day off. I mean, seriously, the Houthis responded to this sad display of fecklessness by announcing the deployment of submarines in the Red Sea. The group met with their Iranian and Hezbollah overlords this morning, and they announced that they could completely shut down the Bab al-Manda passage. Here's the upshot. We have lost control of one of the most strategic waterways in the world. This needs to be addressed pronto. I get the president doesn't want an escalation. I get that isolation uh, isolationist currents are strong in both political parties as the election cycle gets into full swing. But leadership, that's about making the hard choices. It's time to target the Houthi leadership. It's also time to make the regime in Iran pay a price. Don't tell me there's no answer to the Houthis. We somehow convinced the Iran-backed militias in Syria and Iraq to stop firing. Whatever we did there, we need to replicate. And soon. Now for your headlines. Headline one, there was a terrorist attack yesterday just outside of Ma'ale Adumim, the largest Jewish town in the West Bank. The IDF took out a Hamas commander by drone last night in the aftermath. This comes amidst a recent uptick in rock throwing at Israeli vehicles in the West Bank. It also comes as the IDF has operated nightly in the West Bank since this war began. Somewhere between 4,000 and 7,000 Palestinians have been arrested for security reasons in the West Bank. A number of weapons have been confiscated. Hundreds of terrorists have been killed. I don't know about you, but I am growing concerned about the rapidly approaching holiday of Ramadan. Let me say it here, Ramadan is not an excuse for violence, but it is a time when extremists in the Palestinian arena become, well, extreme. Israel needs to keep a lid on this because West Bank unrest alongside a war in Gaza and a not-not war in Lebanon seems like a lot to handle, too much to handle in my view. 
Headline two, and speaking of Lebanon, it was a busy day in the land of the Cedars yesterday and this morning too, for that matter. Hezbollah attacks continue. The IDF killed a senior Radwan forces officer in a drone strike yesterday. His name, Hassan Saleh, and he was a missile specialist. Two others were killed in the attack, and this brings the official Hezbollah death toll to 207 since the war began. But the total KIAs matter very little at this point. There are literally 30 to 50,000 fighters in Hezbollah's standing forces and their reserves. The Israelis are taking advantage of this strange, protracted gray zone war. And from what we could tell, Israel has the advantage. But in the big picture, this is not a victory. An estimated 10,000 Israelis, or no, sorry, 100,000 Israelis have been forced from their homes in the northern communities. Hezbollah has many more capabilities that they've not trotted out yet. And even if U.S. envoy to Lebanon, Amos Hochstein, is able to negotiate a Hezbollah withdrawal to north of the Latani River, the group still has tens of thousands of rockets that can strike just about every corner of Israel. I've said it before, I'll say it again, as tough as the fighting has been in Gaza, the war in the north is the one to watch. And headline three, hostage exchange talks are taking place today in Paris amidst reports in the Saudi press about recent signs of Hamas flexibility. It wasn't clear Israel would attend, but the government sent a delegation at the last minute. Also attending will be the Qataris and the Egyptians. I'm obviously not thrilled about the continued Qatari participation, especially after reports of yet another Al Jazeera reporter who was fighting with Hamas. And when he was injured, he was airlifted to Qatar for treatment. And now we hear the Qataris are arguing against Israel at The Hague today, even while they negotiate the release of these hostages. Honest brokers? Not even close. Let's see what the French can pull off. I would certainly welcome the return of Israeli hostages. I think a lot of people would, but the world seems to have forgotten about them. The Israelis, well, they haven't. The hostage families fear, uh, feature prominently in the news over there every single day. And I would welcome the deal for another reason. I'm convinced of the benefits that would be derived from a pause in fighting during Ramadan, which we've talked about, and that begins in less than three weeks. I really don't like the idea of a multi-front war. Yes, I'm aware that a delay in the final battle for Rafa might throw off some timetables. If a northern war is necessary, that would be pushed to the summer. But wars are complicated. Plans rarely survive after initial contact with the enemy. This war is no different. All eyes now on Paris. It's now my pleasure to introduce Amos Yadlin. Amos is a retired major general in the Israeli Air Force. He was a defense attache at the Embassy of Israel in Washington. He was head of Israeli military intelligence, or Amman as it's known. And he flew one of those Israeli jet fighters that bombed Iraq's Osirak nuclear reactor back in 1981. He's got a lot to say about Israel's strategic challenges, so we're thrilled he's joined us today. Welcome, Major General Amos Yadlin. Boker Tov. Boker Tov. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom Mecha. Okay, tell us, uh, if you would, just to start us off, you've just started a new think tank in Washington. It's called Mind Israel. Maybe it's not so new anymore. It's several months old. Um, what is the focus? What are, what are you trying to accomplish with this new think tank? Okay, it's not in Washington. It's in Tel Aviv. And it is not a think tank. It's a, a constant consulting company that deal with uh, public policy, defense issue, 
and foreign foreign affairs uh, of and it's like a McKinsey for government it's uh, advising the government of Israel the heads of the uh, main security agencies and some governments in the world as long as they are supporting of Israel and not enemies of Israel Interesting. Okay, well, let me, I'm sure you're following what's going on, obviously, and, and, and tracking what's happening with Iran in particular. I know this has been a, an area of specific concern for you for many years. I would argue that Iran has not received enough attention as the driver of everything that is happening around the Middle East. Little fires have broken out everywhere, some big fires too. How would you assess the Iranian proxy strategy after four months plus of this war, are they doing what they want? Has Israel stopped them? Has the United States stopped them? How do you assess whether they're happy, unhappy, satisfied, unsatisfied with their strategy so far? Yeah, the Iranian strategy is to minimize the risk, the strategic risk to Iran. And that's why they developed two arms to go forward to the long range goals of the Iranian uh, state or the Iranian uh, Islamic revolution. One is to achieve to a nuclear weapon. Once again, not as soon as possible, but as safe as possible. Minimize the risk on the way to the bomb. And the same, uh, the second one is to reach a conventional uh, superiority uh, in the Middle East through their proxies, which is also avoiding a, a direct uh, war with Israel or with the U.S., but using their uh, proxies to, to achieve the goals. You have to differentiate between the ideology and the, the long-range strategy which Iran is leading, no doubt about it, and the operational uh, activities, which is not, the, the, uh, not really planned and executed from a war room in Tehran. Selouar was not instructed to do what he, what he did uh, by the Iranians. Uh, Hezbollah received their own decision uh, not to go to a full-scale war with Israel, and there was not a plan how to attack Israel in seven forms that was planned in Iran. It was the inspiration of Iran but with all the pain that Israel deterrence have failed on the 7th of October vis-a-vis uh, Hamas, it is still quite strong vis-a-vis Hezbollah, vis-a-vis Syria, uh, the, the Iraqi militia uh, that Iran is directed at us, and Iran itself. So uh, if you ask me about the Iranians, they are happy that Israel is busy in Gaza, that Israel is bleeding, uh, but they are very careful not to uh, escalate to a full-scale war. Deterrence from Israel and deterrence from Washington is still uh, in a level that they will not risk a, a direct confrontation. Okay, well, let me, let's, let's try to unpack some of this for a minute. Um, Let's talk about the Iranian nuclear program, right? I mean, there are theories out there, including some voiced by FDD CEO, 
ago, Mark Dubowitz, where we talked about how all of this could be a weapon of mass destruction while Iran makes a dash toward a weapon of mass destruction. Do you see Iran's nuclear program making any advances, anything significant that you've noted? And what are your concerns for the immediate future? So, uh, you have to look at this plan uh, through two uh, tracks. One is the enrichment track, and the second is weaponization. On the enrichment, unfortunately, they are in the threshold. They are weeks from uh, reaching from 60% to 90% and having like enough uh, fossil material uh, for three to five bombs. Uh, the, the crucial uh, track is the uh, weaponization. Here, according to the American intelligence and Israeli intelligence, they are uh, not weeks, not months, the year or two from the bomb. Uh, personally, I'm not accepting uh, this analysis. I think it's much shorter, but it's still something that the Iranians are very careful uh, not to do because this is breaking their cover story, that it's a civilian program. And they know that if Israel and America will find about it, uh, they are risking uh, themselves uh, to be attacked. So if I were uh, in a position of taking decisions, I would concentrate on agreement between the US and Israel about the same goals that we are sharing. Four American presidents have said that they will not let Iran be uh, with nuclear bomb. So let's have a strategic plan and operational plan what the two countries will do if the Iranians will cross this red line of weaponization and stop them before they will have the bomb. Well, I, I would certainly welcome that uh, coordination between the U.S. and Israel on that front. Um, let me get back to another thing that you mentioned just a few minutes it's, ago. It's more, it's more than coordination. It's preparing an operational reaction if the head of intelligence in Israel or the head of CIA will come with the proof that Iran is dealing with weaponization because then the two have to decide who will do what, how they support each other and how together they are stopping it. Okay. Uh like to see that happen. Um, let me ask you about the potential for that multi-front battle that I think everybody is fearful of. Certainly, you know, we see the White House fearful of, of such a battle. The Israelis certainly wouldn't welcome one. But we're watching Lebanon heat up day after day. And we're watching even the West Bank heat up a little bit more than I'm happy watching. What's your outlook for the potential for a multi-front war? You mentioned that it looks like Iran is deterred to a certain extent, and maybe Hezbollah is deterred to a certain extent. However, we are still seeing some troubling signs, aren't we? In the very beginning, uh, both uh, Jerusalem and uh, Beirut, assuming that Nasrallah is controlling Beirut, have decided that they don't want to go to a full-scale war. Israel decided that the main front is Gaza. Uh, and the reaction to the aggression from Hezbollah, since it was on a very low level, five to eight kilometers range, five to 10 launches a day, uh, not a real war. Israel basically reacted, but still as a secondary form. What you are uh, 
worried about and rightly so that some uh, unfortunate uh, hitting from both sides will escalate up and then Israel will have to say until now uh, the north was a secondary form since the military achievement in Gaza are quite impressive we should change our priorities so Gaza will move to be a secondary maybe even a third priority and uh, the IDF will do what it have to do against Hezbollah which is hundred times more uh, powerful from what they are doing now as long as the, the definition is a secondary front not to be escalated. Uh, the US by all means don't want escalation and uh, until now uh, they haven't supported uh, Israel shifting to the north but in case Hezbollah will cross a line uh, I think then the US will, will join. On the West Bank uh, and I have to connect it to Ramadan. Ramadan is an important date. It's in a way inflaming uh, everybody in every form. The dream of Senoir was that all the seven fronts will erupt in the same time with full intensity. Gaza, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Yemen, Iran and the West Bank and the Israeli Arabs. All this haven't happened and Ramadan will give him a second chance and I think it is very very important that Israel will behave smartly and don't let uh, the terrorists have a, a false excuse but excuse uh, to, to set fire to the Temple Mount because uh, a war eruption in the West Bank uh, will may put it uh, as uh, a primary front. Uh, you need a lot of forces. The West Bank is much bigger than Gaza. Uh, there is no Hamas army there, but it will need a lot of forces that we do need them in Gaza and in the north. So behaving smartly vis-a-vis -vis the West Bank is uh, the call of the day. I like how you frame that, saying that this is Sinwar's second chance, and I think Israel needs to be very careful not to give him that. Um, let me, I, I've got two more questions for you quickly, if we can try to get through both. Um, you've fought a lot of wars in your day. Unfortunately, this is a reality if you've been in the IDF for as long as you were. How does this campaign in Gaza compare to some of the previous campaigns that you've been in? I mean, I think I've heard from a lot of Israelis how pleased they are with the performance of the reservists, that Israel's done a lot better than anybody ever expected in Gaza. Do you agree with that? Yes, there are a couple of good news uh, in this campaign. Uh, Israel uh, have proved that they are not uh, reluctant of uh, ground operation and the ground operation was impressive. Uh, the American experts that came before it have started spoke about thousands of casualties on the Israeli side and uh, very difficult to dismantle Hamas. Uh, it is happening in a higher uh, rate of time and with less, uh, with less casualties. And in a way, most of the, the Israeli forces already left but when they raid back according to 
fresh intelligence as a doing it what used to be done two months ago by a division is now done by a brigade. So uh, this is one. The second good news is the cooperation between uh, the uh, army and the air force. Close air support in ranges and in uh, real time that we have never seen anywhere in any war in the world. And if we have killed 10,000 terrorists, and most of them will be killed by the Air Force. But the fact that the army was there fighting, uh, designating the terrorists from a very short range, uh, helped achieving this uh, uh, synergy. Uh, the next good news is the missile defense. Israel has the best missile defense in the world. Uh, starting from arrow intercepting ballistic missiles coming from 2,000 kilometers from Yemen, uh, all the way to drones and rockets and missiles, almost from seven fronts, Gaza, Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Yemen. So uh, some good news. I think what is more important than the tactical and operational uh, issues is the strategic concept of uh, Israel defense. And in this uh, case, uh, the, the classic deterrence, early warning, good defense and decisive fast victory haven't worked, haven't worked, collapsed in a way on the 7th of uh, October. And if we end up with what we have started, what we are doing in mind Israel is looking at issues that are not to conduct the war tomorrow morning, to move a brigade from Khan Yunus to Rafa, or to, to answer a, a, a diplomatic question from the State Department. We are looking into the strategic uh, issues for the long run, that when uh, the decision makers and the head of the IDF are dealing with the day-to-day -day, uh, war, we try to think strategically uh, to a longer range. And the defense doctrine of Israel is something that we are now uh, researching and hoping to come with some interesting answers. Okay, well, Amos Yadlin, thank you for taking the time out to join us today. I wish you luck with your new endeavor and hope you'll come back again soon. Shabbat Shalom. Okay, here's what FTD has on tab for you today. Yesterday at FTD's headquarters, my colleagues Cleo Pascal and Craig Singleton hosted an event with the governor of the Commonwealth of the Northern Mariana Islands. The Marianas are actually part of the United States. They are full-fledged Americans that share a border with Japan. Cleo and Craig had a fascinating discussion about the ways in which Beijing is trying to take over these islands, and the governor made it clear that he needs help protecting the U.S. security infrastructure on these strategic islands in the Central Pacific. FDD's uh, Iran analyst, Jonathan Saya, is out with a new piece looking at the central bank of, uh, bank of Iraq's recent decision to re revoke Iranian bank Meli's operating license. The U.S. has been pressuring Iraq to untangle its financial system from Iran, but the move, Jonathan warns, may be more of a symbolic gesture. And so we're just 
going to keep tracking that. And finally, FTD's resident Hezbollah expert David Daoud just wrapped up a three-part series over at FTD's Long War Journal, looking at Hezbollah's psychological warfare, soft power, and propaganda in the group's fight against Israel since October 7th, or actually 8th, when Hezbollah started firing. David translates original Hezbollah material, and he explains how their narratives have been carefully tailored for Western audiences. Eye-opening stuff, to say the least. Okay, that's it for today. Read our expert analysis on our website, ftd.org. Read our quick takes on X at FTD and support our work with a tax-deductible donation at ftd.org slash invest. Tune in Monday for another exciting installment of the FTD Morning Brief. I'm fired up already. Until then, I'm Jonathan Shanzer signing off for FTD.